Welcome back to the 15th episode of Conversations with Saruti. This is your host, Ben Saruti, STLFanBC7 on Twitter. Uh, back with me is Corey Sanzone, and we are going to talk about the Cardinals' malaise as of late, um, and then we're going to try to end with some of the good stuff that's going on. But first things first, uh, how are you doing today, sir? Good. Talking some morning baseball, and uh, I'm happy to get to watch a little afternoon baseball today, so... Yeah, I'll probably have to leave and pick up my son about the, hopefully the end of the second or third inning or so, uh, but he's starting to, he's he's six, so he's starting to get into baseball and really wanting to watch with me, and so well, hopefully this, we this can be a good come. game to watch, nothing like a day game at Wrigley. I know, so hopefully we'll get to come home, we'll, we'll have about an hour before I have to go pick up my daughter, so uh so hopefully we get to watch about an hour of baseball together and, and in the nice calm without my daughter going crazy <laughs> and wanting me to play all kinds of other stuff instead. So that, that should hopefully be fun. Nice. All right. So uh, we are recording this on Friday morning. Uh, this is June uh, 11th. Uh, sorry, I had to check that as a teacher in the summer. Like days are days and oh you don't have to, you don't have to tell me my wife's a teacher so everything that, every yeah. day is a giant blur for her once she hits summer which is right one of right. the perks just, i think of being a teacher just complete blur yes <laughs> um so cardinals are currently three well I, I was writing this last night uh i think they're three back of milwaukee and three back of chicago in the division lead at the moment um four games back of san diego in the wild card standings at least entering last night's games um there are three teams behind them that are all within two games of the Cardinals. So it, it's still early. It's still a big uh, kind of cluster in the middle at the moment. Um, we are headed to Wrigley, as you mentioned, for a three-game set. Uh, Cardinals kind of got to be accustomed to playing at Wrigley right now. All 10 games in the series were played there last year, even the Cardinals' quote-unquote home games. Um, so let, let's kind of get into uh, the bad and the good recently in that order. Um, <laughs> Cardinals are two and eight in their last 10. They had a four game win streak going before that, um, including the first three in Arizona. Uh, but big reason why is the pitching. And I'm unsure of all of the orders of this, but in the last two weeks, basically they've gotten Jack Flaherty hurt. Miles Michaelis had a setback, so he could not rejoin the rotation. KK Kim got hurt. Paul DeYoung got injured. Harrison Bader had a setback. Yadier Molina got injured. 
and Justin Williams got injured. Now, Yachty is come, has come back. DeYoung is scheduled to come back today, so we're getting a couple of those back. Um, but this just absolute murdering crop of injuries yeah, been, to the Cardinals. Decimated. I mean, most of the league has been dealing with injuries, but I feel like when you're when three of the five of your what was supposed to be honestly the front three of your starting rotation are down and down for a while, that's um that's a big problem. <laughs> Well, and not only that, but at the same time, you've got a team built on pitching and defense. And so not only is it the top three in your rotation, plus Dakota Hudson, who would have been in the top three, um, is out all year. Then you lose your best outfielder in Harrison Bader. And I know O'Neill's won a gold glove, and he's probably going to win another one this year. Bader's better defensively. Yes. Um, There's a reason he's the center fielder. Right. It's the reason he's the center fielder. now, O'Neill might be the better player at his own position. I'm not sure about that, but Bader's better overall outfield. Um, and then you lose your shortstop and your catcher. I mean, that's three right up the middle. And they talk about infield or middle, middle up the middle defense being like basically the most important thing on defense. Defense, and you lose your three main pieces yes. there um, at the same time as you're losing pitching. And that that's how you see drubbings that we've seen in the past two weeks. Yeah, it's been a. Um... It's been a trying time as a Cardinals fan. Uh, I'm always a very much a glass half full person, though. So I, I will discuss later, but I always try and find positives and things. And I mean, to, just to, I mean, everybody that's the sky is falling. It's 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 June 11th. I mean, we're not even into the dog days of summer where teams start to separate. If this was September 11th, I'd be like, oh, no, oh, no. But yeah. uh, it, you know, we're still relatively early into the season there's still 100 games left it's gonna be fine (laughs) yeah i i agree in in the general sense of things but uh the timing of it all has just been terrible um and and i think that's led to you know obviously twitter being twitter yes and so uh and facebook being facebook whatever social media being social media um i i do think that the uncertainty over how long those pitchers is out is clouding, is casting a larger cloud, I guess. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's definitely concerns. It's not like it's like, ah, whatever. It's no big deal. I mean, there's, there's legitimate concerns, but we're not, I saw a thing the other day that was talking about like postseason odds. And that was like the Cardinals have dropped to like a 10% chance. It's like, I, I don't, and everyone is freaking out. It's like, it's June 11th. They could go out, sweep the Cubs this weekend, and be back within a half game of first place. Right. Um, well, yeah. If they sweep the Cubs and Milwaukee loses all theirs, I think it would be a three-way, three-way tie. tie. So, like, I mean, I'm just saying, right. like, it's within reason that they're going to be right there. It's still early. I don't put playoff odds any stock when you're talking about the first two weeks of June. I mean, right, right, we're, we're right. a long way off and there's going to be ups and downs of every season, but yeah, I mean, obviously like the, the uncertainty and how long we're going to be without some of our best pitching, uh, starting pitching is, is certainly nerve wracking, but you know what? Good teams find a way to overcome it. And that's what they're going to have to do. So let's start with the hitters. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about what's going wrong with hitters lately. Um, I'm going to bring up three names and these three names aren't, I mean, they haven't been terrible. 
they've not been good, but they haven't been terrible. And the biggest reason I'm going to bring up these three names first is they're three of the top four hitters in the batting order. Um, over his last 30 days and last 14 days, Tommy Edmonds only got an 82 WRC+. Plus. Uh, he's getting the most plate appearances for the Cardinals, and he is 18% below average not only for the last two weeks, but for the last entire month. Um, Dylan Carlson, uh, over the last month, has an 86 WRC+, plus, so 14% worse than league average, and he's batting second, getting the second most plate appearances. Now, I will say maybe he might be warming back up in the last 14 days while the Cardinals have been skidding. He's up to 7% above league average. And then Nolan Arnato in the last. I just want to say before you say that oh, about D, about DC, um, up in, I think he was probably even higher leading into this last homestand, but he had a really rough homestand. Um, against Cleveland didn't do anything, and against Cincinnati, I think he only had one game that he had a hit. So he was probably no, no. even on a higher upswing going into this last homestand, and then it just kind of. Gotcha. So he had a kind of a good week in the middle of this yes. month is basically what we're saying. Gotcha. And then Nolan Arenado in the last 14 days is only at a 93 WRC plus. Now I will say if you look at the 30 day for Arenado, he is pretty hot still. <laughs> and so that means the first half of this month, he was in fuego. Um, but um, Carlson maybe seems to be heating up, but but basically I'm trying to get at, this is not how you want the three out of the first four people in your order hitting, um, especially when you're losing a lot of pitching um, and you're losing a lot of defense through injuries as well. And so you got to have those top guys in the order hitting. What's your take on, uh, on uh, whatever you see with them, their swing, their results, their, uh, I don't know if you've looked at recent exit velocities and all that. What What, what are you thinking about? Edmund Carlson and Arenado, is this just the ups and downs of a season or is there something wrong there? Um, I think it's just a little bit of the ups and downs of a season, honestly. I mean, Edmund, I've always been kind of wishy-washy on him as a leadoff guy. Like, I, I understand the spark aspect of him. He is a dynamic player, especially when he's on base. He can hit a lot of doubles and triples, um, but he doesn't get on. But he also doesn't get on base as much as you want a leadoff guy to to do so it's a weird old almost like an old school new school kind of argument over him and from an aspect of elite like he is the stereotypical traditional leadoff hitter uh for those of us that grew up watching 80s cardinals yes um i mean yeah he's just you know doesn't hit with a ton of power but does get extra bases steals bases is honestly he's a fun player to watch but he just he he doesn't walk he doesn't strike out really either which is a great thing but he just yeah i think he's more of that traditional like 1980s to yeah yeah honestly um like i don't know i feel like always puts the ball in play you know yeah yeah, puts the ball in play he can kind of control which side of the field a little bit that he hits to at least um i mean against the the amazing pitching we you know the amazing stuff being thrown at people nowadays he's hitting to all fields as well as you right. can um I, I, and so yeah i think i think more of a two hitter than a leadoff hitter uh, i think people just look at his speed and think leadoff hitter but but i, I think overall yeah. like i think it's just part of those ups and downs things and 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 i mean baseball's a compounding thing the pitching's been struggling the starting pitching particularly which then puts pressure on the bullpen which then struggles 
which then puts more pressure on the hitters because they're like, I got to hit. And right now it's one of those things that you're, the whole team is just, I mean, if anybody that's played can know that when it's not just like when one, when the whole team is in a slump, the whole team is in a slump because they're all trying to pick each other up and you're just not playing free and easy. Yeah. Um, I'm going to probably write an article about this soon, but let's try to get in a little bit to Tommy Edmonds splits. Um, back in 2018, when he first came up, I really, really liked Edmonds right-handed swing against lefties, him being a switch hitter. Um, and then his left-handed swing against righties, I thought was just okay. He got results on it that first year. Um, the last two years, left-handed, he really hasn't gotten results. Um, if you look at his splits, um, which, of course, I can't find. Oh, when, if you look at his splits, in his career, he is a 267 hitter with a 319 on base and 391 slug against, against righties as a lefty. That's a 7-11 OPS. It is 12% below his typical OPS, his career mm-hmm. OPS. Um, Which tells you how good he's hitting from the right side. Right. Um, against right-handed starters, he's a little bit better than that. Against right-handed relievers, uh, it doesn't say, so it's got to be worse than that then. Um, against lefties, though, now, against left-handed starters, he is a little higher than that. But against lefties overall, now this is only 183 plate appearances compared to 673 because of the preponderance of you know more righties right. in the game. But he hits 320 with a 372 on base and a 568 slug. That's a 940 OPS. That's 45% better than his typical OPS. I mean, he is just a stud batting right-handed. And uh, this has always been a question as somebody who did not get very high in baseball because of eye issues. Um, is this something where he could just drop being a left-handed no. hitter? <laughs> as much yeah. as you wish. Uh, I mean, it, he could definitely not in the middle of the season. Um, right, 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 right. But I, it, it goes back to the whole... I think as much of anything as a comfort thing. Like if you've, he's probably been a switch hitter nearly his entire life. So he's only ever seen a right-handed pitch coming out of his, essentially his dominant eye would be his right eye when he's batting left-handed. So then you're going to completely change that dynamic and have to see it out of your other, other eye as then you're being your, you know, your forward facing eyes, your dominant eye, most what you're going to pick up the ball with. Um, so I guess my question is though, like I I was gonna, okay. I was going to foolishly ask, okay, would he basically turn into a Harrison Bader? But I mean, if his right-handed is already 230 versus righties is 230 OPS below his lefties anyway, I don't know. Could it, would he drop that? Could it get better? I mean, could it get better? That's so hard to say, you know, like, I mean, and admittedly, like they always say like switch hitting is extremely difficult, but like, I, I play with a guy that still play with a guy that is a switch hitter. And I've actually talked to him about some similar to this conversation before about if he's ever just tried to hit 
lefty versus a lefty. And he said he tried to do it one time right. and he goes, I almost fell out of the box. Cause like, I've never seen it ever in my, he's like in my life, I've never seen a lefty throw from behind my head, which is yeah, what it feels like being lefty against the lefty. And he's like, I, everything looked like it was going to hit me. So it, gotcha. it's, I mean, granted, this is just a guy I play with, not a professional baseball player, but right. I mean, apples to apples, the guys pitching aren't, you know, professional pitchers either. Um, I mean, I couldn't imagine being never seeing a ball as a lefty or, you know, swinging left-handed from, from the left-handed side, you know, cause I've always hit from the right side when, when the lefty's throwing. And then all of a sudden you get, uh, a Raldus Chapman <laughs> throwing a ball from behind your head that you've, you know, never seen it from that angle before or any pitch from that angle before. Uh, yeah. And that makes a lot yeah, of sense. It's, it, I mean, maybe something in the off season that I, it, it could be done, but it's, I, I think being a switch hitter is part of who he is. And I, I don't know. It, it's a very, it's a very difficult spot with being like, I really like Tommy Edmund. I love what he brings to the game. I love his style of play. It's very throwback and everything like that. But I've always said, and I've always liked him that he's a more dynamic player at the bottom of the order than he is as a leadoff hitter. Yeah, I agree. And his, his kind of career splits in batting order go to show that too. I don't want to turn this into just like a numbers episode though. Um, Tell me what you're seeing with. I'm going to mute while you talk here. Tell me what you're seeing about Dylan Carlson okay. um, right now. I, I honestly, with him, I think it's just a. I mean, he's a rookie, and it's part of figuring out the game. He's been hitting the ball hard, and then he hasn't. And he's had a weird. We had a long. You and I had a long discussion about how he was hitting everything for power and doubles and homers and ever at the right at the beginning of the season, and then all of a sudden he just became a complete singles and walks guy and then started to show the power come back a little bit in the in the last couple of weeks with a couple of home runs and a few more doubles um i think a little bit is that like and they didn't really discuss it but he missed a game or two for because of his back and i think maybe that was lingering with him a little bit more than was known but bader was out o'neill was out he's playing you know like i see where probably where his head's at is like, I don't care if my back's a little stiff. I just won't take these friggin' daddy hacks and just try and make some contact. I have to be in the lineup. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I think Kyle was on, and I'm trying to remember which podcast it was on because he's been on a couple things lately, but Kyle Reese was on, I believe, the Cardinals Off Day podcast a couple weeks, like two weeks ago in their last, the, the off day before the 17 or 16 game stretch. And I think he was talking about how Carlson is very good at playing his roles and you know, his role in the two hole isn't necessarily to hit for power. And so he thinks a lot of it might've been, well, yeah, lower in the order. He just needed to produce runs however he could, but upper higher up in the order, if he's in front of Goldschmidt and in front of Arenado and in front of a Molina who was hitting and now an O'Neill who's hitting just getting on base. And Kyle was saying, he thinks that maybe just, somebody came up to him and said, Hey, where, where'd the power go? And he's like, Oh yeah, I should probably try to do that too. Um, and, and, and just, you know, just not having that experience necessarily, uh, like you were talking about him being a rookie, not having that experience to, to, to have put it all together yet and being able to do those things all at once and having all those things at the forefront of your memory. Um, 
but yeah, he I, he's just going through a little bit of a thing, kind of like you were talking about, probably a little pressure with the team not playing well. Um, this is the first time probably in his career that the Cardinals have lost eight out of 10. I mean, he's only been on the team for what, a hundred right. games or so. And they didn't go through and losing eight out of 10 stretch last year. So um, let's move on to Nolan Arenado. Now Arenado has been probably the team MVP at this point. Well, I would on say offense, he has, uh, he has been every bit as advertised. I would say. I mean, he, um, every, every player's have 14, ups and downs. I mean, yeah. that's part of the game. Um, nobody's, I mean, almost yeah. nobody. I mean, obviously you watch social media and you think every single person's, you know, hitting 900 by the way that they, you know, it's at, like you watch anything with Acuna and I granted Acuna hits everything under the sun right now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I was really surprised to see the other day when I looked that Shohei Otani doesn't have 40. Yeah, I know. Like yet. it's just, if you, if you actually look at their stats, like don't be wrong, they're doing great. They're amazing ball players. But like the way that if you, if you want, you know, click on MLB, on Instagram, it's like the Otani Acuna show that like you can't he can't sneeze without it being on there, and you would just think that he <laughs> hasn't gotten out yet this year. Um, but I, I mean, circling back to Arenado, I think he's been everything that we could have hoped he's been. I mean, he's we talked a little early in the season that like defensively he's he's made some great plays, but he hasn't been as like I would say blow you away flashy as he was in Colorado. But I mean. I don't think it's that for me, actually, defensively. I think he's been quite flashy. He's made some wowzer plays, you know, like that double play, that, oh, that, that was third amazing. to first double play. Last, I mean, two weeks ago or eight, ten days ago, that was amazing. Um, he's made a couple diving stops and coming in and barehanding plays. I feel like it's the the normal run-of-the-mill stuff on a few of these coming in on well, the ball but- has been his biggest struggle and, and keeping him from being – at least, you know, the advanced metrics from being that third base darling. But I wonder if, honestly, because, I mean, when he was in Colorado, yes, we saw the highlights. You didn't see those plays that he didn't make. They're not flashing those on the internet. So, and I didn't watch, Col- I didn't watch Colorado games every day. Like, I watched Cardinals games every day. And he could have been doing the same things, and we just didn't know. Yeah, I guess the thing that gets me about it, the advanced stats are saying that he's doing something different. And from my eye test, the thing that looks not as good this year seems to be the the more routine stuff. I don't know. There's, And I know he's not a fast guy, but I've always seen him as a quick guy, right. not a fast guy. Kind of like, you know, kind of like right. Yachty, short bursts or Albert, short bursts. And I don't know if I'm seeing that short burst out of him this year. I feel like and maybe it's my expectations are way too high, but I mean, outs above average, he's a minus two. I, right I have now. to feel like that'll come back. I mean, mm-hmm. he's just, he's too good for it not to. But yeah. I wonder, I would, I, yeah. I would actually and be I curious to see if there's a home road aspect to this too. Um, oh, because, I mean, I don't know that they have. if anybody's ever played every ballpark, you see the ball a little bit differently. Um, your backdrop, how close the backstop is, where the ball is coming out of. Um, there might be a little, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm just spitballing an idea there, but like, I would wonder if it's a little different home versus away because there's, I mean, there's an aspect of comfort playing at home. You know, like he played so long in Colorado that he knows how the ball looks coming out of, off of every ball. Angle. Yeah. And all that. Um, now I will say just looking at the advanced stats, it, 
it seems like whenever he's shifted toward the shortstop third base hole or if he's playing shortstop on a shift, that's where the struggles have come. Um, when he's playing straight up as a third baseman, he's a plus three. <laughs> when he's playing close to the line, which is only seven attempts, he's a zero. So he's been average. Um, and so it seems like a lot of the issues have come when he's not playing his natural position hmm. either. I don't know. But offensively, I, I mean, to go back to – again, I think the up and down, like you said, he's been a little bit below average the last 14 days, but still over his 30 was – Nolan Arenado. Um, but then, I mean, this week or this last game, we saw him take really good at bats. Um, and I mean, part of the game is the ebb and flow, like very, very, very few guys have a season ever that they go from April one to September 30th, that they don't have some stretch of, man, I'm not seeing it great. I'm having a tough little time here. I'm, you know, something's a little off or, I mean, you know what? Sometimes you just have days where, hats off to the pitcher you don't get a single pitch to hit like they're just dot in the corner every time you get up there i had that happen the other day that it was like everybody on my team's doing pretty well and i'm like i'm i can't i can't find the ball right now like and every time the guy throws me a strike (laughs) it is in an unhittable location like it, it sometimes that just that's baseball and I, yeah. I have no fears with Arenado. I have none. He's going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like he's 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 seeing fastballs all right. He's seeing off speed amazingly. Um, breaking balls, I, I feel like he's, I mean, not everybody's not good at everything. So breaking balls, I think, is what's getting him a little bit, at least this year so far. Um I don't know. That's my untrained <laughs> But I mean, eye, like even but... even to the extent of like just going back one game. I mean, he took that walk what was in the first inning that he was down 0-2 and then laid off some pretty nasty sliders that there was a couple games ago he was fishing at. So like you know sometimes things just like suddenly you're like, hey, all right, I'm seeing it. I'm good. I'm locked in. Let's do this. Um, I, I he's the least of all the guys on the team. Least of the worries is Nolan Arenado. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the nerd out portion here. So I'm looking at his baseball savant page right now, and they've got those sliders um, that are for like average exit velocity and max exit velocity and all that. And it's like a zero to a hundred slider, and it's it's the mm-hmm. percentile rankings. And I will say that his 28th percentile average exit velocity is a little concerning to me. Um, he's a guy who's typically you know when he's been a big hitter has been in the 50s he does poke or 60s a lot of balls to right field lead. though. Yes, and that's what I was going to mention next was I do feel like he intentionally – and you could see it in the first spring training game he was here even, that he intentionally at times slows things down to poke. Um, and you could see that especially in the – what was it, the first? Was it the first game yes. of the Cincy series? The first game of the Cincy series, I think he had three hits, and they were all probably – 74 miles per hour over the second yeah, they were baseman. They away sliders that he's been getting um, beat on recently that he just slowed right. down, waited on them, and just poked the ball out there, which that's a good hitter. Yep. I mean, it may not be the flashiest. It's not, you know, obviously not exit velocity darling in that regard, but that's just good hitting. Right. If you're in a slump, you can't right. find it. Exactly. You're not, you're not dialing in on, on the ball, just slowing it down, making good contact. Maybe not 
excellent contact, but you know, hitting them where they ain't. Like that's just that's a mark of a of a of an actually true hitter. Right. And back to back to right. him being Arenado that you just keep going over and 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 that's why we see the difference here. We've got not this year, but when Tyler O'Neill, when Harrison Bader when players like that go through slumps, you see their WRC plus in the seventies for a few weeks. That's why we're talking this slump, this 14 day slump for Arenado is 7% right. worse than league average, not 28%, not yeah, 35%. I mean, he's in a slump, but he's finding ways to just still contribute, poke singles, do what you can. And then yesterday he got a two Oh middle, middle fastball and demolished it down or two days ago and demolished it down the left field line for a double. So like, that's the ebb and flow and that's being a veteran and, you know, taking what you get and getting through a slump without cratering through the slump. So let's pivot to a position that is more in that 25, 30% below range for the last month. Uh, the catching position as a whole has been pretty ugly when it comes to hitting. Um, Yachty and, Kisner have combined for uh, 74 WRC plus in the last 30 down to 72 in the last 14. Um, I feel like Yachty is back, but not back at the plate. I feel like he's playing slightly injured maybe, um, which that would be right on point. That's Yachty. The rest (laughs) of his career, right? Um, Yeah. So he's being Yachty. Um, But if you've looked at the trends, Molina has really completely altered himself this year as a hitter. Um, they were just talking about this on the Cardinals off day podcast yesterday. Actually, it was a great, great job by Ben Humphrey and Ben Godar. Um, if you haven't listened to that yet, um, it's Cardinals off I think. And so there's a little shout out to them. They did not <laughs> pay me for advertising. Um, it's just good, so you should go listen. And they're both Bens too, so oh, I feel like I should on that shout podcast out. And uh, it must be the Ben, the Ben, podcast. right, right. And they even mentioned they mentioned, I think a third and fourth Ben yesterday, <laughs> and neither one was me. I don't know about this. I might just delete <laughs> this portion of this podcast. Um, so, <laughs> um, so they mentioned on there yesterday this this transformation of Yachty and how basically he is. This year, just gone to a grip it and rip it. And, you know, his K percentage is way higher than it's ever been. And funnily enough, it's still not even at league average because so many people strike out now. But but his slugging is much higher. And I think that I think he's playing through an injury and he's not altering that approach. That's what it looks like to me. It looks to me like he's not doing that thing like Arenado, like we just talked about, where he pokes balls to right and pokes balls up the middle just for little singles that he's done for the last five years in between these power surges. Um, even though I feel like he, he's playing a little hurt and can't put the jolts in the ball that he had for the first 30 games this year. Um, that's what it looks like to me. Um, what's it look like to you and what, what's Kisner looking like to you? There was a there was a group of games there where I didn't get to see and they seem to be all Kisner starts. So so tell me what you're seeing out of Yachty. Tell um, me what you're seeing out of Kisner. I actually 100% agree with you on Yachty. I think that it's maybe a little bit of like, so let's see, it's his left knee. So it's his plant leg when on a swing. And when you're trying to dial up a swing, it's all about the hard stop on your front side. 
Um, and that really all that pressure goes into that, that plant foot and that plant knee, uh, to stop your front side and get that quick rotation. Um, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever if it's a little bit harder on his knee right now. So he's like you said, he's still trying to dial up that swing, but the body isn't there for it. Um, yeah, I, again, I, I think he's going to be fine. The guy is just, there's a reason he's going to be a hall of famer. Uh, you, you know, he knows his body. Right. He knows how to play. He, he'll be fine. I think it's just a little bit of a, a downswing. And then you're dealing with also he's, I mean, he's trying to guide a very, very rough pitching staff at the moment. Yeah. And I'm wondering if with the pitching staff, just more of his focus is headed that direction right. too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Same with Kisner. Um, so let's transition um, to Kisner. Honestly, like, I've, I've always been a big Kisner fan. Um, and, and I do think that if he, if Yachty was out of the picture, I think he would be a very solid, very solid major league catcher. Um, I like his approach. He actually honestly has a very um, old school Yachty style approach where he almost inside outs everything. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I, yeah, if you look at his spray chart, like if you drew a straight line from first base through second base all the way to the outfield wall mm-hmm. and made a big rectangle, you know, like with the first baseline and the left field wall, there are zero of his hits in that area. <laughs> Literally zero. But I mean, I, I think he could be a very successful hitter with time to grow into that. And I think part of it's comfort and part of it's just, I mean, erratic amount of times being able to play. Um, from a catching standpoint, I think he does a good job behind the plate. I think he calls a good game. We had a, you and I had an interesting discussion because, I mean, granted, then we just went into a torrentially bad stretch. But right before the stretch started and we're talking about Kisner and Yachty, I mean, the staff was throwing better and to a, a good portion of the staff was throwing better to Kisner than they were throwing to Yachty. And I, I think some of that might come yes. down to, like you said before, that the, he came up with a lot of these young guys and he knows them very, very well. Um, and I, I don't know, I'd have to look it up or really dive into it, but like he may call a very different game than Yachty does. So I just wonder how that plays. Um, but overall, I mean, Kisner is a right now he's a backup catcher. Um, I think he has a ton of potential down the road. I, I, I it's nice that it's not like a, Oh God, here comes the backup catcher for a day. Oh no. (laughs) Right. Right. It's not, it's not Tony Cruz. It's not the name. I don't know. You could probably name 13 catchers that have played 200 or less plate appearances. Right. I I don't have a fear uh, when Kisner has to catch. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be fine. Right. Right. So, um, Andrew Kisner advanced sets just show me like he is just popping the ball up. He's under things a lot more than he was the last two years when he filled in. Um, I don't know that that's kind of my thing. Like I said, I have not gotten to see very many Andrew Kisner starts over the last week or so though, to tell me if my eye test would tell me if that seems right. Well, the killer for me is during the stretch, they're out West for some good portion of it. And that's a 10 o'clock start for me. I I am in bed. (laughs) So I'm I'm watching maybe like an inning or two and then I fall asleep because I got to go to work the next day or my daughter's got to wake up at 6 a.m. Right. So uh, it's been, I guess for me, uh, from from a fan standpoint, it was a good time for me to uh, 
for them for them to have some late games or to struggle because I didn't have to watch it. Yeah, you didn't get to see it. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, so we've already gone over half an hour just on the bad hitting. Um, let's talk about this pitching and let's it's let's bad. Just paint some broad strokes here. Let's not go. Let's not go individuals. So the pitching in the last fourteen days, the Cardinals have hundred fifteen innings from their pitching staff. They have a six point eight one ERA. Um, their FIP and XFIP are much more in line with each other at four eight seven and four seven two. Um, there's Sierra, which people might not know. It's a skill interactive ERA. It's basically taking fly balls, ground balls, line drives into account. It's even better. It's a 4.53 at least. Um, those are much closer to league average than that ugly near seven monstrosity of an ERA. Um, but unfortunately, the ERA is what's actually been scored on them. The others are uh, what should or possibly could have been scored on them. And um, unfortunately, those 6.81 ERA has been fairly deserved. They've given up 70 free passes, 57 walks, 13 hit by pitches in those 115 innings. That seems to be the story of the year. Um, and I'm going to ask you a question and then lay out some stats for you. And I want you to tell me, uh, since we're talking about the bad, what's been worse? The, start. the starters or the pen? The starters, the starters, well, here we go. The starters do have a 6.93 ERA. They've got a FIP over five, and they've only covered 61 innings in those 14 days. Um, now they've only allowed they've only I say only they've only allowed 33 of those free passes in 61 of the innings. Um their FIP and their or sorry their XFIP their Sierra are both better than the club's overall line in that time. But then we go to the relievers. The relievers have a 5.33 ERA, so one and a half points better. But their XFIP and their Sierra are higher than the starters. They've got a 167 whip. And in 54 innings pitch, they've allowed more free passes than the starting pitching has. So, I, I still again, what's been worse? Starters. The bullpen, to some extent, plays off of the starters. And I think a lot of it comes down to them being used a ton. They're tired. The I, I would say a small um, bright spot in this is the fact that Reyes, Gallegos, and Cabrera have gotten a little bit of a break during this horrendous stretch because we've been behind so much they haven't had to throw constantly. Um, But that's also part of your driving factor of the bullpen being as bad as it has is your best relievers haven't been throwing. Um, But true. You've also had to have... Guys that yep. aren't as good go longer um, in games. But, but it all comes back to if you get – I mean, there's a reason if you watch any broadcast or whatever, they always come back to it. It all comes back to starting pitching. If your starters are going – I wouldn't even say deep into games. Let's take like six innings. Like, please give me six innings. Um. Oh, if, if – I think – I think the Cardinals would take if the starters could go two times through the rotation right, honestly, without getting oh blown God. up right now. But like, I mean, if they could go four and two thirds pitching to eighteen batters and only give up one or right. two instead but that, of but six, that, it's it's a compounding factor. So they're making the bullpen. The starters are not only just not going deep, but they're also giving up large leads to the opposition. So then the bullpen has to come in and cover more innings 
at a higher stress because, hey, if we want to win this game, I have to I can't give up a damn run. Or we're already down five. I need and I have to cover six innings with the bullpen or five innings with the bullpen. They need to be perfect, which if and any time in baseball you try to be perfect, you're not going to be. Um, and it's, right. it's just a massive compounding problem and it stems from the rotation. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and now I do want to go back to, and I don't want to sound like I'm making excuses for the organization here, but I do want to go back to Adam Wainwright's probably the only guy in the top five of the rotation. If you could have your five five men in your rotation that you want right now, Flaherty, Hudson, Michaelis, KK, Wainwright. He's the only one healthy. Um, so right now you're looking at your, I don't even know, number three. If, if everybody's healthy pitching like they should, what's Wainwright? Number three, number four? I mean, he's obviously the ace. He should, but... be, he should be your number three. Okay, so you've got your number three, and then you probably have your seventh – Sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth yeah. best in your organization Maybe pitching even right now. That. Maybe. Maybe lower than that. So yeah. It's uh, not entirely their fault. I mean let, let, you can't I mean injuries right. They suck, but they happen. But man, they it's not their fault. I mean, you, you can't you can't build a team and build an organization completely bomb proof and they've been bombed with with injuries. I mean Yeah. Yeah. All at the same time, you know that's the thing. It's yeah. If these injuries were spread no, out you, and they you, lost you one of these starters at a time for three, four, five, right? Um, but yeah, this is just completely bombed them out. Um, okay, so I didn't bring that up to make excuses. I brought that up to transition here. So, oh god, where does the rotation go from here? The Cardinals have a three-game set at Wrigley Field starting a few hours from now, four hours from now, four and a half hours from now. Oviedo starting today's day game. Gant is starting tomorrow night's game. Martinez is starting the Sunday night game. Uh, Wainwright pitched last, but it was on Wednesday, so he'd be on regular rest for Monday's game at home against the Marlins, which if you want Wainwright pitching, it's at home, especially after a three-game set in Wrigley, in which case you're not sure you're going to get a good matchup uh, with any of your three starters. Um, So he'd be at home, and he'd be the stopper if we need it. Um, The fifth spot is still very much in the air, is it not? (laughs) Okay, so it seems to me the only options on the roster are Daniel Ponce de Leon, uh, Jake Woodford, and, and Angel Rondo. Um, this will kind of allow us to bridge the gap a little bit between the bad things we've talked about and the good things to talk about ahead. Because when I'm going to start with the good here, I'm going to start with the pitching. There, there's not many. Um, not many bright spots over the past two weeks for the pitching. Adam Wainwright has two gutsy performances. He's thrown 19 innings in the last 14 days. Nobody else on that team has 10 and uh, 10 and two thirds is the next best. 10 is the next best after that. So the next two guys have combined for five more outs than Wainwright wow. in 14 days time. Um, Wainwright's only allowed three walks in that time as well, which is huge for a team that's allowed 70 walks in 115 innings. Um, but the next two guys that I thought have been good over the last two weeks Looking through the stats, Daniel Ponce de Leon certainly has had his struggles early in the year. Um, I think over the last couple of weeks, he deserves a shout out. He has thrown eight innings out of the bullpen 
Uh, he's only walked two. He struck out eight, and he's had two saves in that time. Now, granted, his ERA is very much in line with the rest of the team's ERA in that time. Um, he hasn't been bomb-proof. He had one absolutely horrible outing. Um, but but at least it wasn't free passes that killed him. Um, and then the other one, and he's one of the three we're talking about is potential rotation options. The other one I would say that's been good, uh, I just want to shout out Angel Rondon for making his major league debut. Um, he only got to throw to four pitchers, four batters. I mean, he didn't look overwhelming. Um, he threw 22 pitches. He struck out he one. Strikes. He allowed one hit. But he sat – yeah, he threw strikes. He sat 93 with the four-seamer, uh, 80 on a curve, 83 on a changeup. Out of the 22 pitches, 17 of them, I looked this up last night, 17 of the 22, that's over three-quarters of his pitches, were in the shadow of the strike zone or the edge zone, what StatCast calls the edge or the shadow. And those are those like 50-50 ball strike calls, right? Those pitches that those, the batter those, really has to be concerned about. A, you're going to uh, get some of those calls zone. from the umpires because, well, we know that they don't know how to call strikes. Um, but uh, but more than anything, at least it's tempting the hitter. Exactly. And that's pitching. Yep. That's not throwing. That's pitching. Um, and that's that's something that early in the year when I talked to, the, to Kyle about prospects on the farm, that was something I was really asking about was, who are those guys down in the minors? that can just pitch, that can come up and throw and, and not just throw, I mean, but, but really like keep hitters off balance and, and do that sort of thing. And, and that Angel Rondon was a name that he brought up. He said, he's, I don't know. I, I believe Kyle said, and I could be fair. I'm definitely paraphrasing here and I could be paraphrasing wrong, but basically he, he wasn't sure he'd be ready for the big leagues just yet, which unfortunately he's being thrown into the fire now, but um but he's a guy who he can go out and compete at least because he can he can he can make those pitches to keep batters off balance and his stuff is good enough to play at the major league level, but it, maybe it's just not quite as refined as it needs to be for him to go out Honestly, and dominate. We don't right need now. domination. We just um, need a consistent strike thrower. Right. <laughs> I mean, we still have a very right. good defense, even if it has been a little bit, you know, jeopardized with injuries and stuff like that we need a guy that's going to let the guys put some balls in play and let the defense do what it needs to do. I mean, now I don't want to, I don't want to cycle back to the bad, oh but God. unless it's like Carlos. Okay. Last but, start, okay. They have to hit, they have to put it in play, I mean, but they don't need was, to have every he, single ball come off the bat at 120 miles an hour. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So if you can keep them off balance and get balls in play, you know, that, that, that that's what we're talking about with on Rondon, just to put it in, in perspective. Um, all right. So I'm really unsure where to go with this. If you, these, if you have another option, please feel free to explain it here. But I think at this point, uh, I don't know that Ponser Woodford can give you five, even against the Marlins. Um, so I think the two options at this point have to be in Rondon is stretched out from starting in Memphis. So I think the options are starting Rondon on Tuesday night or, Having a design piggyback, and I know I keep bringing this up because I'm ridiculous, but of Ponce de Leon and Woodford, because neither one's super stretched out yet, but Three. if both can give you one and a half to two times through the rotation, if both can give you 12 to 18 batters, then then that should bridge the gap to the bullpen, right? Um, I mean, well it, enough. I, honestly, if it was me, because, I mean... I. Not, I'm not the manager. I would I would give Rendon the shot because 
he is stretched out. He has been starting. And I, I mean, I understand that like most people maybe just don't understand or understand or grasp the concept, but starting and relieving are different animals. There's a different routine. There's a different mindset. It, they just are. And you're taking guys that in Woodford and in Ponce that yes, are starters, but have been pretty much in the bullpen the entire year. Um, And not only that, but again, we've got they're going to throw this today, weekend. Gant tomorrow. Mar- yeah, they're going to have Sunday. Yeah, you're I would, me personally, I would look at like I'd give Rondon or whatever an inning or two during this weekend. You know, maybe even today. I, oh, I, I, I would say like they're going to throw you throw a bullpen in between starts. So I would say like today yeah, would be the okay. guy that so maybe you give him like today. an inning. Just to get him throwing, keep him moving, and then he's the, he's your Tuesday starter because he's still set up to be a starter. Yeah, that still gives you Saturday, Sunday, Monday off. It gives you because you don't want to go the last, whole stretch you know, of not throwing. Off, so yeah. that's that's bad. Right, right. And I don't I don't remember which game he threw in. If that was right, I think it was the that's Tuesday a long that's a long game, stretch so without throwing. Week. Yeah. Right. So he could throw an inning today, rest the next three, come back and start, and hopefully give you five. But I mean, I can promise you, I mean, Oviedo has shown flashes and he has the stuff. It comes down to being a pitcher, not a thrower, that he could be very, very good. I really do feel like he has the stuff to be very good. It's a matter, it's a matter of dialing it in. Um, but you know, and you never I, know. He's that kind of guy that has enough stuff that he could come out and rip through the Cubs today, or he could come out and throw two innings. You don't know. I feel like I feel like for me, Oviedo, Gant, and Ponce Honestly, are all kind of on the same plane. Throw Carlos in that boat at this point too. <laughs> mm, I don't think so. I think Carlos is working through his own stuff. Those other three, though, I feel like they can be. Well, I was referring to the aspect of like, they I feel like they can come out and throw all... six innings and then the next game they are out in an inning and a third. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah that the, those three are all just throwers. Oviedo, Gant, and yeah. uh, Ponce are all just, they're throwers. Ponce. Yeah. All right. So we've, we've scaled back to the bad. So let's go. Let's keep on the good. I mean, Are there any more pitchers you want to discuss Bueno. in the good lately? Where would this team be without him? I, I yeah. Do you remember? Do you, yeah. I mean, do you remember He's a couple years ago? Everybody, everybody was pounding on the get rid of him. Get rid of him. He's been our best two, our best pitcher over the last two years. Uh, oh yeah, and uh, I think Wainwright after that. I think it was a series out in was it San Diego or L.A. where yeah he was almost pounding I mean, that drum himself. But rightfully so. I mean, he's been. Listen, he's almost that he's that guy that like the old school bulldog aspect that it's like, hey, we need this game. That's the guy I want throwing. He steps up when the team needs him to. He always has. But he has been that guy for the last two years. I mean, remember last year, I think it was against Cleveland that it was like, oh, my God, the bullpen's dead. And he goes, "I'm I'm throwing nine. And he went out and he threw nine. And in these I mean, last two not, starts, yeah. it's been like the bullpen's yep. dead. We're dying. I need to do my job. And he's gone out. And the first inning, both times, it was like, oh, God. Oh, God, no. And then you know what? 
nothing from that point forward. And it, it's like, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like he, he needed that inning to get control of that curve. He's a and, gutsy freaking vet. Like, and and where would we be without him? Yeah. Oh my god. What there's a reason there's a reason he's going to be kind of like Yachty, you know. There's a reason that Wainwright's going to go down as a top what three, four, I, five I pitcher in the Cardinals organization history. I mean, nobody's touching Bob Gibson ever, but but right, right. I think it's hard to it's hard to gauge against those early early nineteen hundreds guys. Right, that I you know nobody. But, but that yeah, I, know I would say he's a top three. So, I mean, honest to God, he um, you could just skip that grace period and just put him in the red jacket the second he retires. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, right. Uh, especially if he finishes his career here, you know. All right, so um, overall, the non-pitchers have been basically league average at the plate on the season, like literally a 100 WRC+. plus. In the last two weeks, they're up to a 105, or 5% above league average. Um, we've talked about some of the guys, guys slumping, so who in the world's <laughs> hitting, right? Um, four. So let's, four. Well, I've got at least four. At least four. So I'm going to talk about some very specific cherry-picked dates on some players here. Um since the calendar flipped from April to May, literally starting with May 1st, Paul Goldschmidt's played in 35 games. He started 34 of them. That's 147 of his plate appearances this year. He's got a 281 average, a 367 on base, a 477 slugging, and 844 OPS, eight doubles, a triple, so five Paul homers, Goldschmidt. 16 walks in those 34 starts. He is he has been Paul Goldschmidt, um, Bush Stadium version of Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, as opposed to Chase Field Stadium with Paul Goldschmidt for the last six weeks. Um, now, when he has games like Wednesday, I think it was, where actually I think Tuesday and Wednesday, there were two plate appearances both days in a row where I want to say he saw six pitches, six strikes. Lost. Looked lost. Two strikeouts you know both days in a row. He hit. Um, <laughs> yep. And then, he, and then he hit the homer or a double. <laughs> so he's still finding himself. And he's got 844 balls. He always, in the last he six always gets better. So that, that's exciting even, to me. Always. Um, I mean, even when he was with Arizona, he's better in the summer. It, I don't know if it's just a, a flow into the game type of thing, but this way he's been with us for, for, I mean, granted, last year was weird, but even, even the first year, he started off horrid right. and then figured it out in the middle of the summer. I mean, the reason is he had a kind of a, a, a dredge of stats because of the beginning and the end of the year, but he gets hot and when it gets hot and I think he's going to, I honestly Goldie Goldie has been Goldie the last month. And that's even without him hitting the ball at his best. Well, actually that's not true. He's been hitting the ball this whole season, probably the best he ever has, <laughs> yeah, he's but, been, he's but under it a little bit more than you want him to be. But that's, I think another part of it is what we talked about before is the beginning of the year. He wasn't taking walks. You could see he wasn't seeing the ball well, and he was hitting the ball in the air too high in the air quite a few times. seems recently he's hitting rocket yeah. line drives. Yeah. I think he's taking better at bats than we were. Yeah. Goldie's fine. Yeah. Um, I think at some point, not now, at some point in the off season, when we talk again, um, we need to talk about a comparison between Goldschmidt and Carpenter with those rough starts, with those getting up in age. Um, oh, please now talk about if that worries <laughs> us maybe at some point. 
Um, okay, so when Paul DeYoung went down with his injury, I thought nope. Tommy Edmond might actually get a shot at shortstop finally. Um, but then Harrison Bader didn't come back as everybody had hoped. And so that left a hole not only at short, but also in the outfield. And with Tommy Edmond up in the air and where he was going to play, basically two spots in the infield. The two middle infield spots and right field were all up in the air. Um, Edmund can only fill one of those holes at once. And so, um, Justin Williams, Lane Thomas, Jose Rondon, John Nagowski, all given opportunities to, well, Nagowski, not really, but, um, given opportunities to hit and none of them can do it. Um, so it's basically come down to Edmundo Sosa and Matt Carpenter. And those are two of the bright spots out of the four bright spots on the offense, basically the last month or so. Those are two of the huge bright spots. Um, since leaving San Diego and starting a series against Pittsburgh Pirates on May 18th, so we're talking getting close to a month now, about a week away from it being a month, so three weeks or so, Sosa started 21 games, has 84 plate appearances. He has a 293 average, a 369 on base, a 400 slugging, and a 769 line. He's got five extra base hits in 21 games. He's got nine free passes, um, walks or hit by pitch, and he's got two steals. He's also played good defense, yeah, I feel I, like. Um, I, I, I what like are your thoughts Sosa. on Sosa? I, I, but everybody's still ready to already – I feel like a lot of people are like ready to crown him as like, well, get rid of Paul DeYoung. I'm not ready to get rid of Paul DeYoung. Um, Sosa is a good bat. He is an eighth hitter in every shape and form. Um, he's not – DeYoung can be a middle-of-the-lineup guy. And – while DeYoung isn't flashy at short, he's shown for years that he is very good at shortstop. Right. Which yeah, he's just are not easy to come back. Um, I still, I do really like Sosa and I have, thank right. God he's stepped up when he has. Um, I think he should play more, but anybody that's like, I've seen people like I saw Agreed. people on Twitter are and Twitter being Twitter. Um, that are like, oh, great, we activated DeYoung. <laughs> Can't wait for, you know, bubble. And I'm just like, listen, when DeYoung is right, which the kid can never stay healthy, but when he's right, he can hit the crap out of the ball. And he always plays good shortstop, which is the most important position yep. on the field besides probably catcher. Well, I think that comes down a lot to personal preferences. We've got a lot of Cardinals fans that you and I are with on Twitter a lot that grew up in the eighties and early nineties. And, and if DeYoung and Sosa are going to give you the same defense, it's basically now it's asking, do you want this kid who's batting 280 or do you want this kid who can give you potentially 30 homers? And, well, and I, it might come down. I, to I see value to both sides. People, I do. I but um, at this point where the way the lineup is right. shaking, DeYoung's not hitting higher than seventh. Which yeah, I would rather take the pop and the power at seven. That's basically that's basically what we've argued, right? For the last yeah, I would take the pop and the power at seventh over a guy that's going to hit two eighty before the pitcher. That's my thought. All right, so Edmundo Sosa, I am not ready to crown him anything either yet, but. Since 2013, when he was in the Dominican, I have been beating the 
man, this stat line, and granted, I did not get to see him play in the Dominican. I did not get to see him play much at the low minors level or anything like that. But I had been beating the, could he be Edgar Renteria light? And right now, that's kind of how he's playing. And I am am here for every minute of it. I like his speed and he's good at shortstop. And I've, thank God for him. Like I was a little, I when DeYoung went down, I was like, oh God, what are we going to do? You know, um, he's been awesome. He's been excellent. And I right. want him to play more still, but he, he shouldn't be the starter over DeYoung. Right. Until Edmund comes back to the infield, wouldn't it be great to have a three-man platoon between Sosa, DeYoung, yeah. and Carpenter for a while and just let everybody get rest and get playing time against yeah, the Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no they, reason Sosa shouldn't be in the lineup when you got – if there's um, ever a lefty, there's no reason that Carp should be in the lineup. Um, and tough righties, tough, tough right. righties, or after like a day game, after a night game, DeYoung should be down because we've seen like one healthy, DeYoung is great. When he's pressed and has to play constantly is when he gets hurt. And this is your perfect opportunity to work a rotation out there. All right. So you and I are currently talking about an infield with a starting Matt Carpenter at second base. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So here's the thing. I I am, you know, I'm going to preface this because. They're going to devour you for saying media it. Media and <laughs> this, right? That this this platform is is broadcast out through social media, and so that's who's going to see this and hear this. But I'm not ready to say Matt Carpenter is back, but I think it is fair to say that he is having his best stretch of baseball since August of 2018, and by a considerable margin. Um. Since bottoming out, 22 games into the year, he had a 366 OPS. <laughs> since that, yeah. Since that point, yeah. I mean, a bad pitcher level. Um, back on April 29th, starting that day, that's what his OPS was. Since then, he's hit 263, which hey, that's two thirds of the OPS right there. Um, he's at 263. He's gotten on base at a 391 like, clip uh, and slugged at a 474 clip for an 865 one. That is, I mean, if you compare that to his line from 2015 through 2018, okay? So, again, here's what he's hit. Now, this has been 69 plate appearances over 12 starts in 33 games, so don't crucify me again. But... If you look at his numbers, and I'll even go further back, from 2012 to 2018, he hit 275. He's hitting 263 in this stretch. He had a 377 on base over those 4,300 plate appearances. 300 plate appearances, sorry. Um, he's at 391 now. He had a 471 slug. He's at a 474 now. He had an 849 OPS. He has a 865 now. Yes, it's only 69 plate appearances. But this is easily his best stretch since then. And, you know, so obviously we can't say Carpenter's back after 69 plate appearances, but if he is, how great is that for this team? And we've talked about Tommy Edmond needs to be a bottom three hitter. Edmundo Sosa or Paul DeYoung need to be a bottom three hitter. If Edmond and 
Sosa are in the lineup, is Carpenter your best leadoff hitter if I he's agree. doing this? And I'd say yes I, here, listen, if he's doing this. Two things. Everybody gripes for days about anytime Carp's in the lineup. Oh, Schilt just loves his Carpenter. Well, you know what? The last month, he's been Matt Carpenter. And he's hitting the ball well. He's taking long, good at-bats. He's looked more like himself, even honestly, like even his movement in the box, because I'm a huge, huge Matt Carpenter fan. Like I'll openly admit it. Huge fan. Always have been. And me too. His mannerisms in the box are more like it has been in the past. He looks more comfortable. And. Yeah, I would say, and even. I, I specifically remember one pitch in the Cincinnati series where he struck out on it was it was either it was one of the slurvies I don't know if it was a slider that dropped or a curve you know but he struck out on this slurvy pitch in the probably bottom you know the the inside corner low in the zone or just barely out of the zone and he struck out on it just looked like one of those swings that was it was not a good Matt Carpenter swing but. But the way he carried himself out of the box, and yes, I realize I'm talking about a guy like and how he carried himself after a strikeout, but it goes along with the mannerisms you're talking about. It just seemed like he was like, oh, that was that pitch. You know, like he could tell after the fact immediately like, oh, shoot, what was I doing? Instead of like giving, I feel like what we've seen the last two years is a look like, oh, crap, what in the heck was that that I just saw? All right. Whereas All right. this pitch, pitch was hit it next time. Like un- unfortunately not right. Unfortunately not instant like instantly knowing what it was or he would have hit it, but it was a instant instantaneous like right afterwards you could see that Honestly, look well, of I mean, yes, so, I can hit that so pitch. much of the game fine. of baseball to those that haven't played is self-confidence. I mean, it is a mental I mean, what's the Yogi Berra thing? 90% of this game is half mental, but like it is, it is, it is a mental game. Yeah. And so you could watch in the last two years, especially you could watch Matt Carpenter. Every time he strikes out, walking out, walking back to the dugout, like F, you know, like no idea what was coming. He looks completely lost. And over the last month, even when he strikes out, like you said, he's like, all right, okay, next time I got this one, you know? And he just looks and is moving mannerisms more like himself. I mean, whatever. He could go over the next, like, two weeks and just go back to being miserable, and we could be completely wrong. But his swing, his approach at the plate, he's looked more like himself. And to segue into that, I was talking with my one good buddy, Luke, who he hates Matt. Carpenter. He, he would have, he wished he would have been DFA'd three, three years ago. Um, you know, the second, the MVP season ended, <laughs> um, he's just never liked him, but I was talking to him the other day and I was like, you have to admit that regardless of whether you like him or not, if he is back to Carpenter form, he makes this team significantly better. Yeah, definitely. All right, so let me once again temper this. Remember, Corey and I, not two minutes ago before we started this soliloquy on Carpenter, we're talking about it would be great if it could be a platoon where he's in against the players, the good matchups. 
And that's kind of where he's been the last six weeks, seven weeks. He's been getting those good matchups, yes. and this is how he's been playing. Um, so hopefully he can keep that up. Uh, is there anybody else you want to talk about before we get to Tyler O'Neill? Because I'd like to end the episode talking about just gushing over Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> Well, tons like flexing on the league, so it's only fair. Um, So that turns us to Tyler O'Neill. Tyler O'Neill is one of the hottest hitters on the planet right now. Um, I actually plan to look into potentially writing an article on him as well, on his home runs. Um, I was hoping to get to it on Thursday, but then life happened. But um, I've put up a lot of tweets about him lately, and that's kind of expected when he's killing the ball like he is. So let's talk about that a little bit. Back on April 27th, Tyler O'Neill was batting under 200 on the year. He had a 167, 205, 405, 610 line entering play on the 28th. Um, He played up until May 16th. He had a 17-game, 16-start stretch in between those times where he, before he got hurt. So in those 63 plate appearances over, basically over like three weeks, he hit 310, 349, 621, and a 970 OPS. Um, then he got hurt in the seventh inning and spent 11 days on the IR since he got back from the R the IR, the IL, um, since he got back from there, he basically picked off right where he left off and just increased his ability to, to show out. I mean, it's been ridiculous. So in the 17 games prior to the injury, he had eight extra base hits and four steals. He's played 13 games since coming back, and he has 12 extra base hits and one steal, including seven homers. He's hitting in the last two weeks 373, 396, 882. It's absurd. For a nearly 1,300 OPS. Um, yeah. So over these, since since May 27th, he's got the fourth highest w, WRC plus in all of baseball at 244. That is 144% better than a league average hitter. He has a 1.2 uh, fan graphs war that's tied for the lead in all of baseball. He's seven home runs are second in all of baseball. His 13 runs scored are second in all of baseball. His 14 RBI are second in all of baseball. His 882 slugging is third in all of baseball in those two weeks. His WOBA is yes. second in all of baseball. I mean, dude is just fire right now. Um, his defense has been just as impressive, I think. Um, his base running has been just as impressive, although his steals are a little down, but when you're, you know, when you're on either second or home after you're (laughs) at bat, it's hard to steal base. Um, four of his home runs have gone over 450 feet, which is tops in the majors of balls over 450. Um, he hit one 471, I think it was, I. I, I don't know what else to say about the guy at this point. He has just been absolutely ridiculous, and he's been one of my favorite prospects for the last few years, See, and I'm just glad he's getting It's interesting because on the flip side, he like hasn't it. been one of my um, favorites. Um, and and I, I, it's, not that I've dis, it's not like I was like, oh, I don't like this guy, but I've just always been kind of lukewarm on him because I saw him as too much of – the same holes that like Bader has and Grichik had of like, Hey, you know, if you grew him a fastball, that ball can go sick uh, up, you know, 700 miles, but just throw him a slider away and he's out. Um, he has fixed that this year. And, and not that 
to I mean, everybody swings at sliders low and away. That's part of the game. Um, but he's not missing when they're leaving him over the middle. And he's not biting as much as he was in the years past. He's put something together that when they make a mistake, he's punishing it. And he's laying off pitchers' pitches much better than he has in the past. So I'm going to say something that I feel like is going to be completely ridiculous when I say this. I feel like Tyler O'Neill is probably the best chance the Cardinals have at a 900 OPS guy I could, moving forward. The hard part for that is, though, is he just does, and still doesn't re- walk. And here's the much. reason for that. So he's got a slug like nearly 600. Right, 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 right. What he is doing right now, but he's also hot as Which blazes. is what he's doing. Um, right, right, right. And here, here's my reasoning behind that. I think back to, you know, Marcelo Zuna as a Cardinal, to Paul DeYoung, to Nolan Arenado, honestly. Um, those guys, when their power is manifesting, when they are on their hottest of hot streaks – you know that zone we talked about with Andrew Kisner, that rectangle from first baseline to the left field wall? Those three guys, when their everything, power is manifesting, is that's where the ball goes. Everything at home runs there. And O'Neill, obviously hot streak, but in this hot streak, what he's doing is he is just, his strength is just pounding the ball wherever it's pitched. I mean, he has 420-foot homers to right field, 470-foot homers to left field, 450-foot homers to center field. That the guys, the other, like Arenado is a king at blooping those those outside pitches in for singles and hard-hit doubles down the right field line. I haven't seen that opposite field power out of him and his – his power profile from well, the spray charts in the right field has gap, not shown that. But they're not deep doubles into the right field gap. Right. No, they're 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 like low line. They're he not four hundred twenty low line drives into the right field gap. Right. Right. And what's interesting is, I mean, Arenado is a true fly ball hitter, and so those low line drives are great in the right field gap. But when he's when he's got that pur- pure home run power going, it is yes. 35 degree bombs to left and it's not left center. It's to left like big Mac land. When, when Arnado gets on fire later this oh, year, because it's going to happen, big Mac land, you better look out. The, Bring uh, a glove, the Bring a glove 400 feet away. The, uh, the letters like DeYoung did, or was it? Yeah, it was DeYoung. <laughs> right. But it's interesting because like, it's it, a kind yeah, of an DeYoung. opposite aspect um, of how Goldie hits because Goldie and, hits and, really hard to right center in the air a lot. Not, I mean, he can hit. He doesn't pull nearly as much as like Arenado does. Yeah. Which is right. Bush his his power added, alleys are but, left uh, center to right center. Right, which is funny because it's Chase problematic too. Though. Chase is huge in the gaps, but right, right. And there's a lot of doubles to be had in those massive gaps too. <laughs> anyway, I, 
Yes, that's true. Anyway, I, I am probably, you know, being very hyperbolistic, being, you know, 140 plate appearances for O'Neill here or whatever it is. But but that just seems to me like and you know, I'm I'm riding the high ride along with them probably. But and that's why I said what I was gonna say was probably a little ridiculous. Um, because it probably is. But well, but then it the comes back to what right we talked now, about with sure, like um, with Arenado when we circle back. There's gonna come a time in the coming weeks or months, more likely than not, that O'Neill cools off. It's the ability to not crater mm-hmm. when he does. Right. Is he going to drop to that 72 right. or 65? Is it the ability to then, you know, to shorten up, two years, take some probably. small, you know, shorter swings, poke some singles, find it, get through it. It'll heat up again. That's going to be what can keep him or can make him that 900 OPS guy. If he craters, he'll never get back to it. Right. 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 Exactly. Um, that, that's kind of where I want my article. That if I can find time to write about Tyler O'Neill, I want to look at those home run swings and see see where they're coming. Because to my untrained eye, you know, that, that's where it looks like is he's well, just it going helps with the, whatever. The dude's and that's arms kind of where the diatribe I went on there. But. And... <laughs> Man, he re- he reminds me of like a non steroids version of Ron Gantz build. I mean, I just remember Gantz like <laughs> biceps being thicker than my thighs yes. when I was in high school and an athlete. The dude's a you monster. Know? I mean, he's absolutely <laughs> a freaking. And it's funny because he's not tall. Right, it's not like when you got like Judge or Stanton who are behemoths <laughs> of men. I mean, Tyler O'Neill's what five ten? Yeah. He's just he's just built like a brick shit right, house. Right. <laughs> brick house. <laughs> uh, um, I, I oh, saw he, a he couple clips of Stanton. Stanton had a two uh, homer game the other target night. Target field. <laughs> Yankee Stadium or Target Field? Yeah, they were in Minnesota. Um, but he hit that first one so hard. I watched the yeah. replay like seven times before I could see where the ball even went off his bat. Literally like seven times it's, before it's, I went, oh, that was to right but field. But, but it's funny because it's just so, I mean, that's okay. the beauty of the game. I mean, they're all big, strong dudes, but he's like 6'5 and big, strong dude. And Tyler O'Neill's my height. Right. Just <laughs> jacked. <laughs> I mean, there's no other way to put it. That guy's freaking yeah. huge. But I mean, he's yeah. just, it's, he's, he's very fun to watch. I've, I've, He's amazing in left field. Um, I really hope that, like I said, he can weather the storm when the storm comes at one point that as baseball does it hot and cold. Um, But he's been so fun to watch. I want to see him hit a ball out of Wrigley this week. He, Oh, if there's anybody that can do it, that'd be fun. If there's anyone that can do it, actually we have three guys that can easily hit the ball out of Wrigley. Oh yeah, Arenado. Okay. Oh, I mean, I mean, but we've Molina seen Goldie really hit one out of Wrigley I mean, to it, left it, center. I mean, like, forget yeah. it. Ball was just gone. that's true. That's so, true. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and DeYoung's back too. Depends on if he's on. I'm I mean, trying very hard because it's been such wind. a rough. It depends week. on the wind. But me being the optimist, I think we're going to have a good series. I think we're going to have to hit to have a good series. 
I don't I don't think the we're going to come out and the trio we have pitching are going to come out and throw seven inning gems. But I think we're going to hit this week. Yeah. Well, yeah, that is I'll be interested to see where, which way the wind's blowing, you know. Yeah, I'll be I'll be interested to see what kind of weekend away, it's going to be. I love on day that. baseball; it's my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, anything else we haven't nah, covered that I, you would I mean, like to we, before we uh, close up the, here? Uh, the amount of people that could listen for an hour and almost an hour and a half. So. <laughs> true um i i do want to point this out about the weekend i just looked this up while we were talking the last 14 days cubs hitters are only hitting 216 278 429 that's six six uh percent below league average well, so at, on the flip um, side Cardinals they don't have anybody the even on their roster um, scheduled to pitch like all of their people are they're all tbds so go right, hit. It's TBD like, if there's ever the a weekend, weekend we need to go in for the whole week they're cold as can be with the way they've been hitting just they don't have any of their starters go their normal starters going. We don't have to face Hendricks, which is a guaranteed loss for the Cardinals. Like, let's go hit. Let's go Cardinals, win especially. two out of three at least in Wrigley and get us going in the right direction. All right. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how the Cubs are are winning like they've been winning, considering what I just, what we just talked about, but oh well. Um, hopefully that stops this weekend. Hopefully the Cardinals can turn around their minus twenty-one run differential and turn around the Cubs plus thirty-three run differential and just go up there and just dominate. Um, that's what's on tap for the Cardinals. What's on tap for this podcast over the next couple of weeks? Uh, I do plan to get Matt Thompson on still from Prospects Live. Um, I've also been in touch with uh, another prospect guru, uh, Joe Drake, over on Prospects Live. Um, he and I have been talking about potentially talking about, uh, the MLB draft as well. Um, so potentially in the next week, two more, two more episodes about the MLB draft, which is coming up quicker than we think about a month from now. So that would give you, uh, three of them to listen to last week. I talked to William Bohr of MLB.com. So please uh, listen to that one. Uh, we will talk about some of the same prospects with Matt Thompson, some different ones, and then Joe Drake. I have not narrowed down who we are talking about yet, but I plan on talking about guys that that well, William Bohr and, right and uh, Matt Thompson and I do not cover. Be, so hopefully, uh, Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. <laughs> well, I yeah, I'm, have a we're, chance. We're going to talk a little bit more about guys the Cardinals have a realistic chance of getting because. Um, the Cardinals are not getting one of those top four shortstops that are just ridiculously uh, talented prospects, and they're not getting lighter, and they're not getting rocker. Um, I've got Royals fans buddies living here in Kansas City who one of them texted. He doesn't follow baseball as closely as I do, and there was an article up uh, on uh, probably like KansasCity.com or something that was talking about Kumar Rocker potentially falling no. to the Royals and at seven. And I said, if he drops out of the seven, top is three, probably a stretch there, big guy. Um, well, I've seen a lot of mock drafts with him going five and six this year, at least. But this dra- this man, draft class is if, insane. if the Royals could get him, I at love seven, college baseball. Great. I follow um, it a lot, I and mean, this draft class is insane. <laughs> 
We'll see. We'll see. I, I hope. I hope so. I hope the Cardinals get get a whole bunch with it too. But um, yeah, so we'll probably cover more of guys who are able to be gotten by the Cardinals at eighteen, um, not in the top five or six. Um, so anyway, until next time, thank you for listening. I love all you guys. Um, for Birds on the Black and for. Uh, for myself, uh, thank you for talking with me, Corey, and uh, I just appreciate, I just appreciate talking baseball, man. Have a wonderful time, and see y'all next time.